and welcome back after an extended break to Animation Broadcast and Cinema. I'm Bo Allen. I'm Jacob Rodier. And today we have a lot of very exciting things to talk about. Um, we kind of we were I think we were a little exhausted after our big Oscars kind of showdown. That was we kind of been building to that all year, and then just that ceremony. And talking about it after just kind of made me hate movies for a minute. It just brought um, us into a, a low depression, a like s- I, little small depression. I like I think I qu- I said this when uh, we did it, but I was literally like, hey, it was the Sean Fantasy tweet. He was like, I have wasted my life, and that's exactly how I f- I felt. I was like, everything I have tried to like, I've been watching all these movies, trying to understand why we do these things. Yeah, I started to question my my life and my career goals for a second. I was like, what am I doing? Do I want to be a director? (laughs) Like, even these people who, the people who care about it the most, apparently don't give a shit about it. Do I want to go into the film industry and risk getting slapped? It was disgusting. And then I ripped off, like, I watched, I ended up watching so many movies. I watched, like, Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> to ease my way back into it. And then I'll just read off, like, I'll do a quick breakdown of everything that I watched afterwards. Then I watched Black Hat, one of the most confusing Michael Mann movies ever. Then I watched The Insider, a really good Michael Mann movie. movie. Then I watched Morbius, which was, I don't want to talk about Morbius right now. And then it, I watched The Keep, which is a really weird Michael Mann movie. Um, then I watched Eyes Wide Shut. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Miami Vice, a super underrated Michael Mann movie, Last of the Mohicans, which still fucking rules, Snatch, which I hated. I just I hate Guy Ritchie. I don't like I don't like his style at all. He can move the fuck on. I don't like him. Then I watched Collateral, Nighthouse, which oh god, good horror movie. Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Rock, Top Gun, Nobody. I rewatched that one, and Ambulance. And I'm like I'm back in on movies. We are having fun. Yeah, I think everything everywhere was what we needed to jumpstart our our uh, movie talk again. Could not have come at a better time. Um, have you you you've been very busy? I imagine you haven't had a lot of time to watch movies. No, I'm I'm looking at what I watched right now. I really haven't watched much of anything besides what we're going to talk about today. Um, I watched. I finished my Hitchcock Blu-ray collection, so I watched oh, right. S- Psycho and The Birds. Um, oh, both great movies. Loved them both. Um, the birds honestly might be one of my favorite Hitchcocks. It was so good. Um, and then, yeah, everything everywhere, ambulance and Donnie Darko, which we're going to talk about right now. It's a hell of a lineup. (laughs) It's a hell of a lineup. Um, I don't think I put that. I rewatched Donnie Darko on my letterbox. Um, so before we get to what we, you know, have been watching the, the two movies that we've watched most recently and our Donnie Darko, um, there are two movies coming out this week that I think there's a lot of buzz around uh, the bad guys and hit the road. <laughs> uh, it is the Northman and the unbearable weight of massive talent two star studded movies, uh, two very differently toned movies. Um, and yet two movies that people seem to be really excited to go to the theaters for. I haven't heard much buzz around unbearable weight. Have you? Uh, yeah, I definitely have. I know a few people that are like really, really fired up about this movie just because it looks absolutely ridiculous. Mostly like friends that, and we were talking about this before the show started. Uh, these are two movies that have gotten like heavy, heavy trailer treatment, especially in movie theaters. Like I, I'm pretty sure the unbearable weight 
trailer I've seen like four different versions of, and each one is like three minutes long. They are pitching this movie hard as shit. It's an hour and a half. Like it, people are gonna go see it. I think um, it's got a great cast too. I, I think people are gonna be pretty fired up about it, and and it just it looks like a really fun Nicolas Cage. And I think that's what the world needs right now. People got pretty fired up about pig dude. Like Nicolas Cage is still a name, even though he makes, he still does the thing where he makes like five really weird slash bad movies. And then we'll make one hit. But like people like him. I mean, pig made some buzz in the film community. I don't think it made it to mainstream. It didn't do well at box office. Uh, no, it didn't do well at box office, but it also came out when a lot of theaters were still closed. Fair. Uh, Pig, Pig, it was weird because I think it was I think it was heavily pirated for one because mm. it wasn't on a streamer for a long time. Yeah, and I I do have a few people that you know aren't super hardcore movie followers that were like Pig is awesome, or or they 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 might have not liked it because it is kind of an unsatisfying conclusion, but they were like. You know he's really good in this. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's made some weird choices recently. Willie's Wonderland is one that I enjoyed though. Prisoners of the Ghostland. He's like a samurai. I kind of want to see that one. Uh, of course, he's in the Crudes, which they make a reference about in the trailer. Uh, I mean, yeah, Nick Cage is the reason I, I want to see this movie. Honestly, yeah. I mean, he's he draws a fucking crowd. Mm-hmm. Like he just does. He has. I'm looking at the IMDb right now, and like, there's a little bit where he's kind of not in a lot of great stuff that's necessarily getting people. But even then, he throws in like a Mandy, which like a lot of people really love that movie. Love Mandy. Um, yeah, man, he's he's got a great career. Uh, yeah, see, he has his ups and downs, but I think he's starting to get, reach a high right now, which is awesome. And on top of that, we've got Pedro Pascal, Tiffany Haddish, uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Demi Moore is in this movie. Ike Barinholtz is a he's I, t- I think he's pretty funny typically, you know. Um that's a that's a good group. Um Pedro Pascal is hot as shit right now. People are going to go see that guy too. He's about to have a huge high with The Last of Us TV show it's coming out. Wow, wait, I did not know this part about the, I'm reading the IMDb right now. A cash-strapped Nicolas Cage agrees to make a paid appearance at a billionaire superfan's birthday party, but it's really an informant for the CIA since the billionaire is a drug king- kingpin. And then the last sentence is, and gets cast in a Tarantino movie? Hmm? That's not a question. That was me reading it as a question. I didn't know the Tarantino thing was a part of it. Does he? Who gets cast in the Tarantino movie? That's a weird way to read that sentence. All I knew is that he was playing himself. I do know he's playing himself, but I wonder if, like... It, or a version of himself. At some point, like, Nick Cage gets tasked in a Tarantino movie. I don't know. That's weird. Um, we'll find out. We will find out. I'm pumped about that movie. Uh, and then The Northman, Robert Eggers doing a blockbuster. People I know are jazzed about this one. I mean, it got great reviews. And I, I was very nervous for him because this is, like, a studio film. It's not A24. Right. I, I thought he would be uh, – his, a lot of his ideas would be shot down, but it, it seems they let him go full force, or at least as much as possible, because uh, people are loving it. So, uh, just reading some reviews right now. Uh, horribly violent, nihilistic, and chaotic, endless cycle of violence. Uh, auteur-driven historical epic from another review. A staggering feat of visceral filmmaking. Um, so it sounds like they did let him do his thing. I did hear from a lot of critics that it's a little tough to understand because he gets so deep into the lore of things. 
I mean, um, has tough to understand. Have you seen the lighthouse? Like, <laughs> that's just that's par for the fucking course with this guy. No, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I'm just saying it's interesting that they, the studio let him go in that direction. Well, I mean, I, what I'm saying is just as a critic, like you've got to understand that, like that's not something you could critique Robert, Robert Eggers on because that's just what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Like that's what his goal is yeah. is to confuse the shit out of you. But this is another movie star driven movie. Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. Holy shit! I. Combined him with our next uh, star, Anya Taylor-Joy, Willem Dafoe. I mean, we've got some names here. And like I said, Robert Eggers, Robert Eggers directing. And he is, I mean, he's he's one of the hottest directors in Hollywood right now, I would say. I don't think I'm wrong Eggers? on that. Yeah. Eh, I disagree on that. This movie, really? this movie might make him, but. I think a lot of very smart people, I, I say that, like, maybe not, like, to the public but i'm saying i mean like around the film community you know, sure film community like, yeah because that's what i meant like that no ho- one in yeah no one in, yeah in hollywood i get that yeah no no like regular person knows who robert eggers is no i think a lot more people saw the lighthouse than you're giving like i think yes, that's another but pirated uh, one. him as a director he's not like known like i think even um uh oh my god i'm blanking ari Ari from Midsommar Hereditary. What's his last name? I cannot believe you forgot his name. I know. I'm not telling you. I'm okay. not telling you. Do it. Think it out. No, don't Google it. Don't get your hand away from the computer. It's happening. Stop. You cannot cheat this. This is one of your favorites. I know. Ari Aster. <laughs> God damn. Um, That's like me going Michael. Yeah, Michael, I know. Michael Mann. I, I Michael think Ari Aster is like a bigger name than. Ari, he probably is. But I think that's also due in part because Hereditary was kind of this phenomenon. I think Lighthouse had the potential to become a phenom- phenomenon like that, but I think a Christmas release wasn't perfectly timed for that. Although maybe it was, actually. Is the Lighthouse a Christmas movie? No. But <laughs> I think it is. I, yeah, I don't think Eggers is on that level yet, but he definitely, with this movie, especially being more mainstream and possibly in the future, is he's headed in that direction, but I don't think he's there yet. I need to rewatch uh, The Witch expeditiously. Yeah, that is a fucking freaky-ass movie. Apparently, he wanted to make it more freaky. Like, they said that they made him tone it down, whoever was backing him at A24. the time. No, because A24 isn't a production company. They're a distribution company. Oh, I don't know if they bought it or produced it. But I'm pretty sure they produced it, actually. Oh, really? Um, but I get that because this is that was his first film. And with debut films it's, it's tough to you don't know what you're gonna get it's true um yeah i'm excited for this movie i like i said uh oh well it this has been trailered to death just like uh unbearable weight and yeah i know you've managed to avoid them at a certain point i got tired of covering my ears and my eyes <laughs> and being a we- that weirdo in the movie theater so i did watch it i figure one of us needs to watch a trailer so we can talk about it um it looks. It looked from the trailer that they studioed this movie to death. Uh, they. It, 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 I'm glad to know it's still going to be uh, pretty true to what he likes to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks like they're going to fill it with plenty of blockbuster-friendly action as well. Hey, which isn't a bad but, thing sometimes. Or I mean, or we could get like faked out with the Green Knight, and while it and like all the reviews say it's violent, but it doesn't say like it's like all the time battle scenes. That know, is very could, true. It could just be like five beheadings. It know? could pull a green knight. 
But I think people would be pissed. I think the general public would be mad. But only like people like you and me would be like, fuck yes, subversion of expectations. I, <laughs> yes, but when I saw the Green Knight, yeah, people were mad. <laughs> oh, I, t- I think I, this we, we hadn't really started the pod yet. We were talking about it. I don't know if I ever said this uh, on air. But I had one guy at the very end literally go, well, what the fuck was that? Yeah. <laughs> was, no, like, I, that I had was a, a movie. I had a full house on mine, and there were groans at the end. People was like, oh, <laughs> like, what was that? I was clapping. I was like, that rocked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with this one, but I'm excited nonetheless. Um, This is going to be a really – I'm so pumped about this movie here, dude. Uh, next week we don't have a ton really hitting hard, but then we have Doctor Strange – uh is the big release uh in two weeks and then the week after that we get firestarter which is a stephen king adaption which you know i'm i fucking love uh i'm also very excited for petite maman which comes out uh i think this weekend limited and then next weekend after that um that's the person who made the portrait of the lady on fire her name is celine skiama i think you pronounce her last name is that streaming only no it was gonna be in theaters like it's in theaters this weekend um, limited mm-hmm. and then hopefully i think like mother's day it's gonna be a full wide release but i am very excited for that um and also the movie duel starring uh aaron paul uh that was at um sundance earlier this year and now it's finally mm-hmm. getting a release i think and karen gilligan as well and i think jesse eisenberg's in it too uh, uh the 17th of may we're getting a bruce willis another vendetta. one of films vendetta yeah he's got like eight more in the can yep <laughs> Guy just works. Not anymore, but he just worked. And then, well, I'm just going to – Top Gun Maverick, Jurassic World Dominion, Lightyear. The, they're just big movies that are going to get people in theaters. Yeah, uh, we're Elvis. Getting, we're getting towards the summer blockbuster season. I don't give a shit about Elvis. No, nah, it looks really boring. Uh, Bullet Train is going to rule. I think Where the Crawdads Sing is going to actually get some people in. That's a pretty widely distributed book. Of course, Thor, Love, and Thunder – uh, it's going to be great. I am ecstatic. And we get a Salem's Lot movie and a Halloween movie and a Spider-Man Spider-Verse animated movie. It's going to be a great year. Fuck yeah. God, I love movies. We're back. Speaking of love movies, we're back. So you know who else is back? Michael Bay is back, motherfucker. <laughs> we're here. Ambulance. Film of the year. Give him the Oscar. Not film of the year, but close. <laughs> I, so, I have a very rocky relationship with Michael Bay. Um, I think everybody kind of does. I don't, I don't know anybody, especially recently who is like, Michael Bay is my ride or die. That is my guy. I will do anything for him. I don't think uh, he's my like ride or die, but I don't think I've been disappointed with anything he's made. Everything that he's made has been like expected. And if it, it's like, it gets to a level where it's good. I'm like, Oh, okay. It was cool. It was good. But I know what I'm getting every time with Michael Bay. So I'm just going to run through kind of his feature film list right here. We've got Bad Boys, The Rock, Armageddon, Pearl Harbor, Bad Boys 2, The Island, Transformers, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, Transformers Dark of the Moon, Pain and Gain, Transformers Age of Extinction, 13 Hours, Transformers The Last Night, Six Underground, and Ambulance. Yeah. And then he is also doing. He's got. He's shooting Robocalypse, right? Robopocalypse, which is your your thing. I love that book. <laughs> yeah, it's went from get Spielberg Bay. to Michael Bay. We're gonna Michael Bay that one to death. Um, 
So look, I don't have high standards for Michael Bay. I have very, very low standards. No, for I don't Bay. have high standards, but I no, have an I expectation. I know what I'm getting when I go into his film. So yes, uh, those expectations got ruined for me when he spent ten years making five Transformers movies. I was out. I mean, I, I like, love all of them. So you can go right to hell. Those are <laughs> terrible, terrible movies. You have uh, to know what you're expecting, and I knew what I was I, expecting look, going into them, and they were great. I've I had seen The Rock. I had seen Armageddon. I had seen both the Bad Boys. Those movies are not the, are way way better than the Transformers movies. But this is not sure. what this podcast is about. This is a this is not what this is about. This is about lifting Michael Bay up because after ten years and five terrible Transformers movies, be quiet for a second. It's an audio medium. They can't see you shaking your head. Michael Bay is back. I thought he was. I was. I was. I almost said he was back with Six Underground. I really wanted to say it. I didn't believe it though. Ambulance. He's back. Yaya Abdul Mateen. Superstar. That guy's a movie star now. I thought he was gonna be a movie star after Aquaman. I thought he was gonna be a movie star after what was it? Us. I thought he was gonna be a superstar after Black Mirror. Black Mirror. And then he was in Watchmen. And then he was in Candyman. And then he was in The Matrix, but he wasn't a movie star yet. Ambulance is what makes him a movie star. <laughs> this goddamn perfect picture from Michael Bay. Uh, it is far and away from a perfect picture. But, oh, but it's perfect for a Michael Bay picture. Exactly. That's my point. I went into this knowing it was going to be a Michael Bay film, and I got a Michael Bay film and a little more, and I was very happy with that. Um, hang on, I'm pulling up our texts because I was kind of using you as my notes yesterday because there was <laughs> no one else in the theater. All right. Um, so this is a truly, uh, and this is low st- or high standards, but this is probably Michael Bay's most unhinged movie. I'm so willing to say that. He quotes and references his own movies three times. Three times. William Sharp is the name of, the, of William Fickner's character. In, in Armageddon. Mm. That's Yahya Abdul-Mateen's character name. Yeah. The cop, what the cop, the two cops at the beginning say, I thought we could go in there bad boys style. Mm-hmm. And then five minutes before that, one of the cops goes, you know what the what they say in The Rock, what Sean Connery says in The Rock to Nick Cage? He's like, he's like, losers stay home and whine. Winners get out and fuck the prom queen, which is just an insane line to include in this movie. Like that's the line you go with from the rock. There's so many other options they could have chosen. Um, it's amazing. He brought that line back, but like it also just it's, it's peak Michael Bay referencing himself. Somebody gave him access to drones and he is just flying those things all around. I don't think we have a stationary camera once, even when people are talking, the camera is spinning in circles around them. Oh my God. When you, the scene when, um, it's not a spoiler or anything in the beginning yeah. when the brothers, Danny Sharp and Will Sharp are, are tar- talking about the heist in the beginning. And the, and the, his like huge garage that he has. He's trying to convince Will to do it. Right. Him. It's a it's like a normal conversation, a little bit higher elevated since he was like trying to convince him. But oh my god, that camera spinning around them at like a hundred miles per hour every time, and in all I, different directions. It kept changing. It just kept spinning <laughs> and spinning and spinning. It wouldn't stop. I was, I was just sitting there laughing the entire time. Like, oh yeah. What are we watching right now? I was laughing hard as shit. 
I was it was so fucking funny, and I, I like I I feel like Michael Bay does these things to be uh, unintentionally funny. Like yes. maybe he does them on purpose. No, I but think like, some of it's intentional. Like you think he's trying to get a laugh and just be like, <laughs> yes, this is what they expect from me. Yes, but like I really have never seen it like that. This is a new form for him. No, that was to the max. And like, and, and sometimes like shots, like they were so like particular because like you could tell when like it went from one angle to the other, like the light beam like perfectly hit like the characters, and you could just tell. I was like, I was like, nice, Michael. You, I see what you did there. But he just he, kept doing it over and over and over, and I was like, okay, here we go. The he also had a terrible problem with close-ups, like yep. uh, particularly towards the end. When Yaya Abdul-Mateen is, like, yelling at Jake Gyllenhaal and knock off Anna Darmus and, um... Don't call her that, man. <laughs> Isaac like Gonzalez. It looks She's like that's actress. who they... I mean, they definitely called her, though, right? Like, they definitely called Anna Darmus and she said no. <laughs> I mean, hey, Ed's, she's from Baby Driver. She's got she's from the King Godzilla versus King Kong. No, I like her. She's a great actress. Yeah. But I just ha- I I wrote that one down and I had to get it in somewhere. <laughs> Why did you cite Godzilla versus King Kong as a bona fide? I don't know. Um, <laughs> she's a great actress. She was in Godzilla versus King Kong. Um, she's in like Hobson Shaw too. She's been a bunch she, of- <laughs> she was in Hobson Shaw. Yeah. Um, she's got a great but, blockbuster career. So when um. The camera, the, like Yaya Abdul-Mateen is yelling at them, and the camera is on just like his eye between his eyebrows and the bottom of, and the top of his chin. Like it's the most unreal zoom I've ever seen, and the camera is shaking and he's moving. It is insane. If you have vertigo, you cannot see this movie. Oh yeah. If you if you have heart problems, you cannot see this movie. Like no, you it, will have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, fully unhinged, like you said, is the best way to describe this movie. It's just off the rails, and the drone and, shots were were so cool. They were awesome yeah. and so like well deserved. But but he oh my he also, goodness, they were great. But when you do that twenty five times, when yeah. you send a like, he kept doing it. It was like it was literally it was the same like move. A, it was go, it would go up the side of a building and then there would be like a crevice in the building and it would go down the crevice on the other side of the building and then like under the ambulance. Like, yeah, it would do like a, a 180 spin move, the drone too. It would go <laughs> whoop and then dive down. And it did yeah, that it 20 times. <laughs> I can't, I mean, I can't describe it. A 180 is the best way to do it, I'd say yeah. it, I guess. But it's like, like a roller coaster. Up. It went up and then dipped down and did a 180 and, and then slowly went down again. Oh, it was so unreal. And he also... This was my favorite part. This was the funniest thing to me. He kept introducing characters. You get new characters like 30 minutes in, then 45 minutes in, then an hour in, then an hour and a half in. And you're like, this is like a two hour long movie. Why are we still meeting new people? I mean, this whole movie was just a five star GTA chase. Oh, my God. The entire time. The climax was like an hour of the movie, at least. He made such weird choices. Like, it was really important for us to know that the head of, like, this special division of the LAPD is really into USC football. <laughs> yeah. Like, he literally was dressed like like the fucking head football coach for USC. Also, the fact he that ha- he just had, like, a huge dog with him the entire that's time. Mike, that's Michael Bay's dog. Oh, really? It was also very important that we know that Michael Bay's dog eats Mongolian barbecue and likes to take huge shits. The dog was like, so was, pointless. Like, there was no point in that dog. They just threw it in there just because. He was also, like, the the cop at one point was, like, get that dog out of this police chase. Like, go <laughs> yeah. take my dog home. And that guy went right back to the front of the pack. He said, yes, sir, and then went right back to the front of the pack. 
It was unreal. And then like it was it, it, it made so many weird choices. It seemed at first like so Michael Bay has this obvious like he always has this very obvious braid of patriotism and we're going to have American flags waving majestically and I thought we were like we're not okay like a cop's not going to die on screen like these ca- cars are going to get flipped and then like I don't I'm not I'm trying not to spoil anything but like we're not going to be sure if cops die but then all of a sudden there's one part where like you know they're dead like they just he just kills them on screen yeah and at right. that point at that point I was like this whole chase, like the point of like keeping the cop alive in the ambulance, seems like it's lost its point now. Let's ditch the ambulance and move on. Yeah, because you know? then it moved into the whole like cartel storyline, and that was just like Whoa. yeah, which kind of, which came completely out of nowhere. Why are we doing that? No, what are we like you said? They just kept introducing new things as we're going along, and that's why the climax just like kept going, <laughs> and it was insane. You're just on your edge of your seat for so long because you had no idea when the story was gonna. End. I, I was quite literally on the edge of my seat a few times. Um. So we were 15, like 15 minutes of this movie are not in the ambulance. I would say the first mm-hmm. 14 minutes, then you get in the ambulance, and then the last two minutes is in, in, in is out of the ambulance. It is the most insane movie I've ever seen. Or not the most, but it is one of them because we're about to talk about everything everywhere. I do – I'm going to spoil one thing right here. So honestly, and we're probably going to spoil everything everywhere, so we'll just – I'll put a timestamp, fast forward to the fucking – if you haven't seen these two movies, fast forward to Donnie Darko. I'll put a timestamp in the description. Uh, I'll give you all right, three, two, one. If you haven't skipped yet, you're fucked. The, the surgery scene when yes. they're extracting the second gunshot wound, which nobody knew he had, which I was like, you've been in this ambulance for like three hours. How has he not bled out and died by now? It's yeah. in his chest. And then so they have – they do this surgery at 80 miles per hour like they're flying down these la highways and they're doing it over facetime it was incredible it was and then you think they do it and the spleen ruptures and you're like i jumped it was a great jump scare i was like a great splatter too and then they clamp it with her hair clip like that I don't. I'm not a doctor, but no. I was also <laughs> laughing so hard when the iPad just ran out of battery, <laughs> out of nowhere. Yeah, the iPad that they hadn't used the entire time. Too. Yeah, I oh, was like, out of battery. Should... Um, Michael Bay clearly does not care about a few things. He does not care about his time continuity because it went from like when he gets to the like car depot that they're planning the heist at. It looks like it's kind of evening time, and then they do the heist, and the sun is like in the middle of the sky, like it's noon. Oh yeah, it goes everywhere. And then, <laughs> and then it's evening again, and then it goes back to noon. Uh, the ambulance never runs out of gas. Mm-hmm. That's not a problem. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, I'm sure. I think that's more realistic because I think the ambulances are always like full to the max because they need to be. Yeah, yeah, but like, how long are they in this thing for? <laughs> yeah. Also, the paint job that they did on the car. But the, that random guy who did the paint job of the, I think it was green. Um, that was like really fast. He did it in like 30 seconds and covered almost the whole thing. Um, how do they not immediately know it's the spray painted green ambulance? There are no green ambulances anywhere. I think because they're using that like radar system and it didn't detect it because it was just covered in paint. They had cops surrounding that area though, didn't they? Yeah, but uh, I think because of the distraction of the other ones. I think that made a kind of a little bit of sense. Uh, that was I the part it. where I was, uh, okay, well, I mean, it, you, it's a heavy suspension of disbelief with this movie. 
I guess that was not the most absurd thing in it. Um, it was like it, it, his his ideas, like the things he like he re- he really wanted us to know that like this cop, this main FBI officer, was having marital problems. Like I don't know why he introduced us to that guy in marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. I like that was such a weird choice. Like we could have like he could have just been yeah, eating and, like and the fact that he was food. like gay too. Like it just made. Well, like- I don't see the the that. I didn't have any. That was not the weirdest thing to me. If it had opened on a straight marriage counseling thing, I was no, like, no. I'm not saying that. It was just like it was so random that they just like threw that in. You know, the the thing to me is like I figured at some point it would tie back into like this guy being like, ah, even though we're going through problems, I gotta get back home to my husband. Or like, yeah. Or I thought it was gonna be revealed that he like had like a romantic relationship with Danny. It was leaning towards right. that a little bit. Yeah. That's why I thought they introduced that in the beginning. I'm like, oh, something must happen here, but no. But then it never came back. It was so weird. It was so weird. The the cartel characters were so weird. Wale was so weird, like, as this bumbling, like, employee that apparently didn't know Danny was doing illegal shit. Like, it was so fucking strange. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. It just kept going, and I was happy it kept going. Um, my uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal yelling, "I ha- I wish I didn't have herpes, but sometimes <laughs> that shit, like shit, just happens." That's line. What the fuck? Yeah, Jake I, Gyllenhaal. Again, something they brought up and then never talked about again. Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal. Like we're about to talk about Dottie Darko, which is a weird ass performance by him. This is a the, maybe the weirdest I've ever seen Jake Gyllenhaal. I can't think of any other time. Like he is, he it seems like, like he's having a lot of fun with this movie. He oh he definitely is, but it's like he's fighting Nick Cage, like Nick Cage's performance in The Rock for like least volume regulation. <laughs> oh yeah, he was yelling the entire time. But he'd sometimes go really quiet, and he it was all over the place. He was like he would like be pointing the gun. Uh, at Isaac Gonzalez, I can't remember her um, character's name. I, I don't Cam at Cam yep. and <laughs> he, oh my god, he also goes like it's like Cameron and she goes it's Cam. This is like the first time they meet and he's got a gun on her and he goes oh no way my name's Daniel but I want to go by Danny. Shut the fuck up! Like scream. he's insane and then he's like sitting down and he's like you know really I'm the more emotional of us two. I'm sorry about all this. Like it's so fucking weird. I mean, he's also, um, like, the number one criminal of all time. So. Uh, uh, yeah, well, no, he's the son of the number one criminal of all time. He himself has, has, has made a name for himself, I mean, but I don't... what the cops say in the beginning, that he's, that Jake Gyllenhaal's character robbed, like, 56 banks in a year? I think it was that his dad did that. Okay. And he's, and, like, But either robbed... way, like, what a number. That means, like, he's robbing a bank, like, a week, more than a week. Like I multiple banks a week. I think it was supposed to be like he did twenty. It was like he. I think he's like that was close to like his total robbed, and it was like he did like twenty banks by the time he was seventeen or something. Is what yeah. they said. Like I think they were like his dad robbed fifty six banks in a year, and Danny had twenty robbed himself by the time he was seventeen. Okay, yeah. And like that college connection, I guess made sense, but like it was another thing that we did not really need. Like. So fucking weird. Uh, it was so many choices. So many weird choices. I loved it. it I, it's such a recommend for me. It is such a recommend. Yeah, I'm it, looking, it was intense. I like was really invested in what was going to happen at the end. I'm 
looking even though it was the most like cliche ending of all time it worked (laughs) um one thing i do want to say is this movie borrows a lot from action movies that come before it in like really good ways i think it pays homage to a lot of them particularly i would say heat is the biggest one which i think everybody figured i would say but it really but instead of like the de niro pacino relationship being like oh two different sides of the law but they're similar but different because of this one rule or whatever like it's a fine line between the two he did that he did the same like I'm very interested in the relationship of these two men, but just did that with Gyllenhaal and Mateen. And I think, uh, I also think he saw Tenet and was like, I'm taking my action movie crown back from (laughs) Nolan. Uh, I think he, and then he like straight up does the Terminator Judgment Day LA River Chase. Like he just did it. And then even played like a couple notes from the score of it. Well, then I was they, like, that was pretty they also cool. talked about how like everyone goes in the LA River, right? They kind of like, made um, fun of it. No, the only thing I remember them making fun of was like, stay out of the water. And he was like, it's the LA River. There's water everywhere. And I was like, there's not water in that oh, right, <laughs> LA right. River. Yeah. I was like, there's no water there. <laughs> um, I remember thinking every LA action movie goes in the LA River at some point, but um, yeah, maybe they didn't mention it. But, you know, it's that scene where Gyllenhaal has the gun and he's leaning out of the window of the ambulance. Sorry, I just, like, backed up to show Jacob. <laughs> and um, and the helicopters are right on him. And he's just, like, and it plays the Terminator 2 music. Like, it was so overt. And I was, like, that kind of fucking ruled. Yeah, loved it. Um, so just to, to transition from a genre movie, paying homage to other genre movies, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh I mean, that movie is li- a literal love note, I think, to genre filmmaking. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. It's like all, it's like, it's, I would say the movie as itself, like, is kind of like, a, I guess, an action adventure movie, but it pays homage to straight up action, kung fu movies, uh, romantic drama, particularly uh, Hong Kong based romantic drama. Uh, comedies, uh, body horror comedy. That was a really weird thing that they threw in there. The hot dog fingers. Um, mm-hmm. and it's a, it is a really, really amazingly put together movie. It's, this is a hard ass movie to make. Uh, I think there there's, I don't know. I can't think of another director or directing team that would be able to make this. Yeah, no, it definitely fit in their rest of their filmography. Uh, Swiss Army Man, The Death of Dick Long. They have a bunch of like Adult Swim. Only uh, one of them did films. Death of Dick Long. Correct. Um, but still, but from one of the it, minds. Like, I can't think of anybody else who would be able to make this movie. Like I genuinely don't know who else you would give this to. No, and it's it's an impossible task too. And they they somehow pulled it off with a very small team on a very tight budget, which mm-hmm. is incredible. It really is just. I mean, I told Bo this right when I saw it. I was like, this this automatically became one of my favorite movies ever. Like, just, just immediately out of the theater, I was like, this is incredible. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, man, it's great. And it's uh, it's super fun. It's like Ambulance. It's kind of nonstop. And you're always moving, yep. always going somewhere else. So you're always invested. And it's never paced a, so well. Never has a title been so apt. Like, this right. is literally everything, everywhere, all at once. And then, like... 
but it's also got these like it's got all this absurdist shit going around it and it's also got these really grounded emotional performances yes. even though they're like fighting with dildos and bouncing in and out of universes where they're just inanimate rocks like they the actors play it deadpanned perfectly and not and it, like, even the sh- really silly shit in serious moments comes off as serious when it's supposed yeah, to it's very so, much so. And that's such a hard task to do. Right. Like they, they take all the stupid shit that's like a little bit comedy in the beginning and they, they flip it on you and, and they just somehow make it like very emotional and genuine. And you really feel for like all these ridiculous characters. Um, I'm, pr- I'm going to kind of go from the bottom to the top uh, right here. Uh, Jenny Slate is in this movie. She's got a very small role, but I yep. think she's really funny in her parts. Uh, Tally Medell plays Becky. She's got a small role, too, but she has a couple lines that make me laugh really hard. Mm-hmm. Like, when uh, the grandfather finally goes, like, finally, like, is, like, he, like, holds her hand and says, like, girlfriend, like, he accepts her. And she just looks at him and goes, what's that mean? Like, I laughed my ass off. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis. I saw her on screen, and I was like, this is this is my movie. This is, the, this is for me. She right was here. fully invested in that role. She was playing the absolute most absurd irs agent i've ever seen and she was like i am going to commit i'm going to commit and she did it was great um james hong grandfather gong gong james hong is like kind of a legend um he's been in a decent amount of american stuff i think he's been in a lot of chinese films um I think he was in he was in Kung Fu Panda. I know that he's Mr. Ping in Kung Fu Panda. Panda. Uh, he's also in Turning Red. Uh, let's see what else. I think he's in a Seinfeld episode. Um, yeah, he's in the Chinese restaurant, which is an all-time Seinfeld episode. Uh, he's in Big Trouble in Little China. Like this guy is all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing I liked about this movie is that it was pay- paying homage to a ton of other stuff. So we'll get there. Um, he was really, really funny in this movie. Uh, Ki Hui Kwan. I don't know if I did the middle name right. Uh, he has not been in anything since. Not acted. I mean, like, there's small credits, but I don't. they don't really count, I think. I think he considers his only real roles The Goonies and Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. He was like he did not like the state of Hollywood uh, and the casting of Asian actors. So I think he stepped back from, he, he put, I mean, he really he played two of the most in two of the most iconic movies of the eighties mm-hmm. and was a pivotal part of both of them. Like a really, really important character to a really memorable character. And then he comes back for this movie and is amazing. Yeah. Gives an incredible performance. His, monologue over that takes place in two different dimensions um particularly the part that takes place in the one where michelle yo is you know the super famous actress or i guess evelyn is the super famous actress and he's like you know you see me as this weak person because i'm nice to everybody and all this and he's like but you have to be nice to get your way like you fight by being abrasive to everybody i fight with kindness and i was like jesus fucking christ this is amazing like and he's playing this character so different like there's really three different variations we see one where he's like 
from this world where Michelle Yeoh is this scientist and he's kind of more agile and like an action star and then he's the goofy dad in the main universe that we see and then in this other one he's this like suave you know well put together they don't say what his profession is but it's clear he's very like high class um and he is and he's he's very well spoken there and very intuitive and you know insightful and smart there and it's it's really impressive how he does those three characters that all get a lot of screen time uh so well and that was like obviously Michelle Yeoh is amazing. Stephanie Hsu <sighs> Su- I don't know. H S U. Mm-hmm. Sue. Can't do that. Sue? Mm-hmm. Okay. She's great, but I think we already kinda knew she was up and coming and was gonna be great. She's been in a lot of good stuff. It was interesting. I was so uh, I was listening to a podcast with the directors. Um I think it was oh, I forgot the name. But they they were doing a podcast talking about this movie and the behind the scenes of it. And one thing that I found really interesting is that the scene with Stephanie Sue uh, and her character Joy, the scene when um, the mom comes out and tells her that she's fat and she needs to lose weight before she gets in the car and drives away, the scene where she's driving away and it's like it is like that window shot of her and she's crying out the window she's driving away, that was not in the script. That was like a, a last minute decision they made. I think it was like a pickup shot they did. Um, right at the end and I think that was like one of the most impactful scenes in the whole movie and kind of like changed it almost yeah man um, so she really really nailed that role um, and then of course Michelle Yeoh uh, yes. fucking amazing Michelle Yeoh is a legend uh, in her own right just like James Hong and Jamie Lee Curtis uh, Ki Hui Kwan is I-, I would say he's a legend too just because those two performances are so ingrained and everybody's brain but michelle yo i mean crouchy tiger hidden dragon um she was she's was just in shang chi as a pretty as a main character there i really liked her in that movie yep um crazy rich asians is something that she's been in recently that i think a lot of people really enjoyed and then she's also been in um memoirs of a geisha what's else what else tomorrow never dies the james bond movie you know she's got a great imdb and um i think this like even uh even though she's been in a lot of popular things i don't think she's as well known mainstream as she should be i hope this movie changes things although i don't think it's gonna do like it's not gonna make a hundred million dollars but i think a lot of people are gonna really like it and gonna tell people about it and i think it's gonna get a big cult following 100 percent. and i've had a lot of my mainstream friends see this movie Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's loved it. I haven't heard one bad thing about this movie. And I, I think that's uh, justified. It's justified because this movie is just so relatable. Anyone can relate to it. It literally has everything in it. So there's something to relate to with everyone. And it's a family movie. And in the end, right. it just comes down to family. And that relates to everyone. You know, I was really expecting a why does this movie have to be about Chinese immigrants review bomb kind of thing. Mm. Not there. No. Because it was um, such like a, a wholesome family movie at the end. It and is. It's it too hard. I will say one. My one criticism is at certain points it feels like it's trying to hug me a little bit too tightly, and I'm like, okay, we can add a little bit more cynicism here, but maybe it doesn't work with a little bit more cynicism. And uh, everything works now. It's not like I, I love this movie. I'm not disparaging it, but um, it, it it does hit a little too hard on some of those notes. I think sometimes. 
Mm. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that, but I, I see where you're coming from a little bit. Uh, awesome poster, too, by the way. Just looking at that. Oh, incredible, incredible now. poster. Um, but yeah, this is just really like one of the most creative and like imaginative movies that, and original that has come out in just so, so long. Um, and it just like it really makes you appreciate and love movies for what they are. Yeah, I mean, we were talking. I uh, we were talking about references. This movie references, at, like, specifically with genre filmmaking, it references everything, yeah. everything. And they, I, I sh- they use like different camera lenses to represent different like film styles too. It, it was so well done. My favorite, um, my favorite movie reference was definitely the 2001 reference with the hot dog fingers. That was so good. Incredible, incredible. Like just I was so, just so like original <laughs> genius and just. Uh. I was hollering, hollering in the movie theater. It was insane. Um, they straight up referenced like like they did the uh, Michelle Yeoh. Is a, is a movie star thing again like they were they had her being crazy rich asians again you know that yep. was really funny i thought yeah um they did so have you ever seen the old buster keaton movie sherlock jr no so he like it's him like he wants he works in a movie theater he wants to be a detective yada 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 he falls asleep while he's uh projecting a movie and um ends up dreaming that he's in the movie and then the movie ends and then he wakes up and they do the exact same shot of as him waking up like the movie ending and then it pans back and then it's him like sitting you know back, not in the audience where Michelle Yeoh was but in the projectionist booth mm-hmm. it was i loved that reference um of course Rakakuni was fucking amazing. hilarious amazing uh, who did they get to voice the raccoon it was somebody like it was somebody really impressive that just did this raccoon voice. I do not know. Um, can you do show for a minute while I look this up? <laughs> do another reference. Um, I don't know, but I will say <laughs> that damn it. the rocks, the rock scene was so incredible. And the fact that one is just so original and genius to have. That oh my God. That was awesome. That much silence and like a film and, and do it in that way. Um, the shots are beautiful too, but just also like the fact that these rocks with like googly eyes on them that were like talking to each other was so sincere and emotional and you could just like feel every little bit of it. And that's so hard to do. And they, they pull it off in every way. Okay. I got a couple more. Um, Oh, the voice of the raccoon was Randy Newman. Oh, wow. Cool. So we also got, uh, this I'm just looking at a list right now. Um, they say that uh, the universe where she was um, a movie star was, and that conversation they had was uh, referencing one car wise in the mood for love. Like apparently that is stylistically shot to resemble that movie, and like apparently the alley scene is kind of a direct reference. But I thought watching it that it was more similar to Chunking Express, which is another Wong Kar Wai movie, mm-hmm. which I've talked about on here, just because, you know, when she's moving through the crowd, chasing after him, and it's kind of blurring the people, but they're also moving somewhat choppily and stuff, and it's like the camera's moving at a slower frame rate almost, and the way that people are walking past it and blurs as she's moving forwards. Chunking Express does that like 10 times. 
um, and so that's just one thing that really stood out to me. The it was di- direct reference to Kill Bill, and I yeah. mean other other that that type of stuff is in other kung fu movies too. But it was the way that they were doing like, and obviously Kill Bill is he's paying homage. He he himself Tarantino himself is paying homage to other kung fu movies in the way he's shooting it. But the character, well, I guess the character design is the same as the character design from the original White Lotus movie. God damn it. Does Tarantino just steal? This is another conversation. All right. But it looks almost exactly the same. And they kind of do the exact same training and stuff. Um, It's great. Man, I love it. It's such a great movie. It's such a perfect movie. Um, Yeah. And I also love the fact that the VFX team on this film was five people, which is unreal and unheard of. Um, especially when you look at Marvel films, which are the VFX are sometimes worse than this film, and they have over yes. like a hundred people. And I, I think it's just like they're proving a point that like anything is possible, which is amazing. The original description for this movie before, uh, you know, it was released, the IMDb description was a woman tries to do her taxes. Accurate. Great, 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 great reference. Great call. Um, Came out during tax season too. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. I, I, I made that connection as well. And honestly, uh, this this I think this movie came out at the perfect time too, especially with just like our current society and politics right. and COVID and everything else going on in the world and just like the chaos that's happening. It just it was perfectly fitting for what's going on. So what I was going to ask was, did it come out too early? No. I think it's kind of perfect time. Well, should it have come later if it wanted awards consideration? Oh. Well, yeah, if we're talking politics not to, here. You know, not to bring the show back to the hellhole of an Oscars we just watched, but yes. I was sitting there thinking, like, damn, maybe they should have done this a little later. I'm really glad I got to see it now. Like, 100%. hopefully, man, I hope it has the juice to get to VFX nominations. I, I don't know. It's it's so early in the Oscar season that obviously these these films just, like, they don't usually make it. And I totally understand why A24 pushed out now, because this film, like, I would totally be in the same boat as them, being very skeptical this would be a hit or a miss. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's tough to tell right now, but I really hope that it gets something, because it deserves everything. You know, um, they put it out, um, again, I think, was it the Sonic release date? They put They did it... Uh, Easter, I think was when it, no. Oh, April third was I think initial release. Um, which I mean, it was going against Morbius and the Lost City and the Batman were still doing numbers, and this movie came out and they kind of stuck it in there. Yeah, um, I just hope people go see it. I hope it. And it's. I hope they get it to. I'm sure it'll go to Showtime because I think they've got their A24 thing, but I would love to get it on, like, you know, I I don't know if – I think Showtime's not a huge streaming platform. Um, A24 movies sometimes end up on Netflix. I would love to see it there uh, so people can watch it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if people even have Netflix anymore, though. That's another another conversation that we said we didn't want to have. yeah, man, I'm very, very happy about that movie, and it makes me very happy, and I'm very excited to go see it again and cannot wait to own it and watch it a million times and watch all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Yes, 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 yes. Just makes you feel good. And um, I'm happy people are, are liking it, too, and it's getting very, very, very positive reception. It deserves all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, 
let's wrap up this first half and then we're going to get into a very differently toned movie Donnie Darko It's Bo here to tell you about our sponsor, Album Book Club. It is a book club, but, you know, for albums. And uh, they have weekly picks that they put out on their Twitter, at Album Book Club 1. And they uh, have curators that choose picks week by week. Uh, it can range from hip-hop to bluegrass to death metal to indie to pop. It's all over the place. Uh, it's a great way to discover new music. I've been following them and working with them for quite some time. They also put out their magazines on albumbookclub.com. They just put out an issue with Osar and Paris Price. Uh, they have great merch over there. It's all great looking stuff. Um, definitely check them out. Give the Twitter a follow. Give the page um, a look. It's great stuff. You're not going to be disappointed. Good way to discover music. Let's get back to the movie. All right, we're back from break. We are here to talk about a weird-ass movie that I love very, very much, Donnie Darko. Um, 2001 picture. So weird. Do you, do you have any memory of the first time you watched this and, like, like how old are you, were you maybe when you watched it and what did you think about it? So I do remember watching it for the first time. I was probably... Uh, I would guess high school. I was probably like 16, 15, around there. Um, I bet this was like rocked your world. Like cha like for like two weeks you were walking around like rethinking everything about high school. And it didn't affect me that much. Really? It definitely made me think about like movies in general. Okay. It made me just be like, whoa, we can do this in a movie. Right. Because uh, um, it was just so mysterious. It was so like. It was just so like weird. It had this certain tone to it that no other movie kind of had, um, and yeah, it just like it just had this weird feeling. And like especially like the plane going into the house. I mean, we'll get into all that, but just like yeah, small little things in this movie like definitely stuck with me. And especially after seeing the the rabbit for the first time, that yeah. will never leave your mind. Yeah. The, you, yeah. All right. That's so like once you see that bunny, you know exactly that's Donnie Darko. I think the first time I saw this, I was, I was probably, I might have been 21. Okay. I, th I think it was the summer between my junior and senior year of college, or I guess quote unquote fourth year, because I'm still in my senior year. Um, and it, so this was, you know, you know, got really into movies 2016 high school. And this was around the time where I was trying to kind of, I don't know. I was trying to watch more super creative films and really weird movies. And like in that stage of what I was talking about earlier of like trying to figure out why people do this, you know, I think that's what a lot of watching all these movies is for me is just to figure out like, what are these things that are really important to these filmmakers that that's so important that they have to like, spend 85 days in a suburb talking about why this kid sees a bunny costume all the time you know like what like trying to figure out like deconstruct like why like why this story is important to all these people and this movie broke me for a couple days i will admit that's why i said that um because i was just like the input like, it's kind of like a butterfly effect type movie and that yeah. like 
you know, this one event, him sleepwalking out of his room and not getting crushed by a jet engine from a plane that nobody, like, that never even existed, like, sets off this chain of events that results in the end of the world. And, like, it's never really explained how or why. And it ends in sort of time loop thing and everything ends up being okay. He just dies. But, like, it's not really explained why he's in the bed the next time, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I do you feel like you have a clear understanding on this movie, like, of what happens? No. It changes everything. Okay, good. Cause, so I found, and I meant to do this in the research, but I completely forgot. Um, there I found when I was first watched this movie, uh, a like old, old website, uh, like early internet, uh, of like a Donnie Darko. I fucking found it immediately. Donnie dark Darko dot org dot UK. And it's got an explanation of the movie. It's got a whole summary of what the tangent universe is. Um, there's a primary universe, a tangent universe, and then it also has an acronym for philosophy of time travel. Um, it's got a section on the philosophy of time travel and how it works in the movie and stuff about the artifact, which is the jet engine and manipulated dead and manipulated living, which is like Frank is the manipulated dead, but the manipulated living are the people with the beams coming out of them. There's, I think a, very weird following or there was a very weird following around this movie when it first came out. Yeah. This is kind of one of the, it was, it was just one of those movies where it was just like just enough confusing where it gave people like all these different like, uh, realms to go down in terms right. of theories and just like, Oh, it could be this. It could be this. It could be this. It just never gave you a straight enough answer. And there's, there, there's not, there's not like a right answer to this. I think the director even said he didn't even know what he was going for when making it. Um, they, it's just like, it's one of those movies where you can just go in so many different directions. You can talk about it so much. Um, and it's still kind of just one of those like anon- anomalies in movies where it's just like, you can just keep on talking about it and keep rewatching and rewatching it. Cause there's so many like little things that you can catch, even if they weren't intentional. Um, yeah. So I think the idea here is that it, when Donnie isn't there, it creates a pocket universe, which they call the tangent universe here. This is what these, these people on the internet are saying. And then it creates essentially a black hole that when it collapses will destroy the primary universe as well. The primary universe is the one where he eventually gets squished. But I don't, I don't think they're really clear. Like nobody's really clear on how him watching the plane goes down results in him actually, and like them actually getting everything back. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, you, well, you read more of that. I'm going to go do the description right now. So right. Donnie Darko is about uh, after narrowly escaping a bizarre accident, a troubled teenager is plagued by visions of a man in a large rabbit suit who manipulates him to commit a series of crimes um, directed and written by Richard Kelly, who honestly has not made really anything since he kind of like quit movies after this. This kind of is like his one and done film. Um, Starring the Jake Gyllenhaal, Maggie Gyllenhaal, um, Jenna Malone, Mary McDonald, 
Holmes Osborne. Um, yeah, that, that's a main cast for, for that. Um, but yeah. So uh, it seems like what happens at the end is that the tangent universe where he doesn't die collapses safely and he wakes up back in the primary universe on the night that this is all going down. Mm -hmm. And apparently it's like, he knows now that he's like the only one with super clear memory of this pocket universe that was created. And he knows that he has to stay there and die. So that way the primary universe can continue. Uh, it says, I think this is something from the director's cut, which I've actually never seen because I don't necessarily remember at least this last part. Um, even though the 28 days act never actually happened, some of the manipulated will be haunted in there, which is just the regular people, will be haunted in their dreams by their experiences within the Tangent Universe. There are bits of evidence to prove this. Frank touching his eye in the final montage. I think we see that in the regular cut. Gretchen waving to Donnie's mom proves that some of the characters have some knowledge of what happened. That one I know is in the final cut because she waves to him when they're outside the house. This I don't remember. And I could just be completely misremembering this. We see Jim Cunningham crying in the montage as he wakes up, clearly disgusted with himself. Ten days later, he clears out his child pornography dungeon and shoots himself on the 14th hole of the golf course. Do you remember no, that? We, we do not see that. So that's a, that's a director's cut thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, But, yeah, I do like the idea that there is bleed over. Um, I got really wrapped up and forgot how we normally <laughs> do this. Um so Jenna Malone, I just want to talk about her real quick as Gretchen. I like her a lot in this movie, and I feel like like at some point she could have had a bigger career, but some she got course corrected by somebody. I can't figure out who took her lane. Um, sure, you could say that. I mean, Donnie Darko. I did you not like her in this? I thought she was really great. No, I thought she was great, but she didn't really have that big of a role. She kind of just like did a little thing, and that was that. Um. Jake Gyllenhaal is so weird with girls in this movie. He's just weird in general. Jake Gyllenhaal has the weird. creepiest smile ever. When he, when he, so when he, uh, uh, like in in real life or no for it, this in, movie, I mean, yeah. So when he's doing that sleepwalking thing and he kind of looks down and looks his eyes up and smiles, mm-hmm. it like pierces my soul. It's so fucking scary. He somehow just nails the creepiness. He's great. He's a fucked up kid. Kids are fucked up sometimes. <laughs> and he is like that guy. Like, he definitely saw like the emo kids in, <laughs> in, the, in the school lunch who hang out all together. Um, that's definitely what he was basing this off of. He. Uh, so this uh, w- this is probably his breakout role, right? Yeah. Uh, he had been in things before this. Um he was in October Sky, Homegrown, uh, Dangerous Woman, City Slickers, but not not big roles. You know, mostly child actor stuff. Gets Donnie Darko. They bring his sister on uh, to play his sister. I loved that. They were awesome. They had like, I mean, it was obvious <laughs> why, but they had the best brother sister banter ever. Oh yeah, it's like, awesome. The, it was so good. I was like wow, like, how are these people so good? Until you realize they're actually brother and sister. And it was like, oh, they're just playing themselves. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the banter specifically at the table in the beginning was incredible. Just the back oh and forth God. they had. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal saying fuck ass was just incredible. Yeah, like, what, what a the word. fuck? And then Maggie Gyllenhaal calling her out, calling him out on that. Uh, you um, can go suck a fuck. Suck a fuck. Great one. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, just like the great banter right off the bat. You immediately can tell they're brother and sister. It's, it's a great start. Um, and then right after that, when he's up in his room reading and his mom tries to check on him and he does the angsty teenager thing of like calling her a bitch, but only after she leaves the room, you know, yep. like, like I, I, I wonder, see, I wonder if it's the thing where like he said it loud enough for her to hear, or maybe he did it on accident. He just wanted like the satisfaction of himself, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and then I love, but Ed, the dad is like. He's he's like maybe my favorite character in this the movie. The dad is like such a bro in this movie. I oh, love he's it. the best. He she walks in and goes, "Our son just called." No, she says, "Your son just called me a bitch." And then he goes, "You're not a bitch. You're a bitch in, but you're not a bitch." <laughs> yeah. I was like, "This guy fucking rocks." Also, spraying Maggie John Hall with the the hose when he's yeah. watering in the beginning, just for no reason, just for his he own is satisfaction. So funny. I'm checking. Like, I'm like, what else is this guy in? Um, because we did not give this guy as many great roles as he should have. He is one of the last great American actors. <laughs> he should have been in way more stuff. Dude, he's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, it looks like just little bit parts in TV shows and air buddies. <laughs> yep. We should have done more with this guy. You cast him in something. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll hit up Holmes. Holmes Osborne. God, guy rules. Um, a great, weird patrick swayze performance where like he might be the leader of a cult <laughs> like, it's so good mm-hmm. um it's such a weird oh, it's so strange for him like uh, this this weird figure like who is very famous from the 80s and like playing this like pump like pump up video <laughs> kind of like he kind of played speaker. like tom cruise and magnolia a little bit yeah yeah but to less of an extent um, and then the super religious teacher, like everybody knows, so like has a teacher like that. Uh, Beth Grant as Kitty Farmer mm-hmm. is who I'm thinking of. She, and then like the the very staunch defense of um him, even when he gets found for child porn, is so fucking funny. Um, I like this. Well, Donnie, well, life isn't that simple. I mean, who cares if Ling Ling returns the wallet and keeps the money? It has nothing to do with either fear or love. Kitty Farmer, fear and love are the deepest of human emotions. Okay, but you're not listening to me. There are other things that need to be taken into account here. Like the whole spectrum of human emotion. You just can't lump everything into these two categories and then just deny everything else. And then he calls her like an asshole and gets suspended. Yeah, he was. He had so many great lines in this movie. Just like so many like wise, smart ass comments. Um, they were so great. And then he he always had his little smirk smile afterwards, his little creepy smile, uh, and it always hit. Uh, speaking of teachers, also Drew Barrymore, who played uh, kind of the artsy teacher, I guess. Yeah. Also very relatable. I think everyone had one of those too. Um, but yeah, I loved her character as well. Um, she also got a little weird with the kids too, with like the relationships. Before, before, sorry, before I have one more Kitty Farmer line, when <laughs> she's talking about how she has to miss the, the L.A. show to do the, uh, the L.A. like, you know, dance troupe show to, like, mm-hmm. help organize the defense for Patrick Swayze's character. She tears in her eyes, voice cracking, goes, sometimes I doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. <laughs> Makes me laugh every single fucking time. Um, Drew watch, Barrymore. Uh, watch Dance Moms and you'll get a lot more. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, Drew Barrymore rules in this movie. She perfect casting too to go yes. from like the kind of like girl next door high school kind of girl to having her be a teacher, you know? Yes. 
Um, also, another shout, because I'm just going through the IMDb right here, Jerry Trainer is in this movie as Lanky okay. Kid. His name is Lanky Kid. Jerry Trainer and Ashley Tisdale are both just randomly in the audience. Who's Ashley give... Tisdale in this Come movie? Come on, man. Oh, I thought you meant who, who is she? No, 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 no. <laughs> she plays one of the, the people in the audience of the uh, – when um, – uh, during the auditorium when they're asking questions to Patrick Swayze. Hmm. Um, Ashley Tisdale gives a question and Jerry Trainer, And you're just like, why, why are these two people randomly cast in this for this oh. random small little extra role? I didn't know Ashley Tisdale got a question in there. I didn't notice that was her. 100% it was. Um, I'm Maybe she didn't have a question, but she was definitely in the crowd and they, they zoomed in on her. I'm looking at Bar- Barry Moore's IMDb right now. It's really weird. I, why do I think she's not really this girl next door kind of type? No, she doesn't really have. She a, plays a lot of comedies. She does have a lot of comedies. I like, but it's like she's got like a Batman Forever and Wayne's World Two and Doppelganger. Like, yeah, she's jumped all over the place. Why did I think? But like, I, I don't. I'm looking at this. I don't understand why she was super, super famous at this time. Fifty First Dates got her pretty big. But that no, but that was after this. Oh, after Donnie Darko. Yeah, that yes. came after. So mm-hmm. why before was she super famous? Because like I remember, they that's why they have her die first and scream because she's like they like I she, mean, was, she the was superstar in that. She movie. was also big in like Charlie's Angels, which came out in two thousand. Um, but that's after Scream. Yeah. In the nineties and eighties, I know for a fact that she was big. She was like started as the child prodigy actress from Firestarter in nineteen eighty four. And right. then she got, she has I'm but I'm looking at this IMDb and it doesn't make much sense to me because that's what they did in Scream they have her die first spoilers if you haven't seen Scream they put her on the poster she's in all the trailers and they have her die first because it's a subversion because they expect you that like you expect Drew Barry they marketed it that Drew Barrymore was the lead mm-hmm. and everybody's like this is the Drew Barrymore horror movie and. Then she dies, like, and you're like, oh shit! So anybody can die. They just killed one of the most famous actress, famous actresses on the planet. It's very, I don't know how she got so famous. Maybe magazines. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she was just in a lot of magazines. That's the only thing that can make sense to me. Yeah, we're a little too young to answer that question. I guess, man. This is a weird IMDb, but she's great in this movie. I love her. She's very, very funny. Um, she's a great teacher too. Like, she might. I think she. It's not. I don't think it's so much weird as treating her students like people and i don't think i think that that was the kitty farmer's character's main problem with her is like she was kind of treating them like people and not teaching them about love and fear and patrick swayze (laughs) but it is like you know i like how the two the two most famous people in this movie at the time are patrick swayze and uh Drew Barrymore and they just push them off into these supporting roles that are not anything that we had ever seen them in before and that are a little strange and we're just like cool and everybody's doing weird shit in this movie this is a weird weird movie I feel like I've said that a million times no it very is like we said it creates this like this weird feeling throughout the whole movie you're just like you don't know what's happening there's this weird vibe Um, but it's also just like super funny and super it is mysterious. so funny. Um, it just it grips your attention the whole time because you really don't know what's going to happen next. I think I don't think this movie 
gets enough credit for how funny it is. Like I, th- there's I, so many great lines. So I th- many. I, I I think uh, <laughs> I think it's more thought of as like this mind fuck, which is why we chose it, and it definitely is. But it is hilarious. Seth Rogen's first on-screen like movie line is in this movie, and it is yep. literally, "I like your boobs." Like <laughs> it's just him in his Seth Rogen voice. Okay, how's he do? Uh, I like your boobs. Like I can't fucking do it, obviously, but it's so funny. Yeah. Also, during that scene when they're at the bus stop, and like I forget who said it, but like one of the guys is like, "That's some good shit, huh?" And he's like, "It's a cigarette, it's a, man. It's a cigarette. <laughs> it's his friend. It's it's Donnie's fucking friend." And he's like, "It's yeah. some good shit." And Donnie goes, "It's a fucking cigarette." I laugh so hard, and that's after like all the weird shit has already happened to him. And it's just like a moment where he's normal for a second. Yeah. Um. This is a top ten uh, scene of all time, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna be wait before different. before you okay. say it. Can I can I guess what it is? What do you think it's gonna? Um, the yeah. Smurf talk. Yeah. All right. Here yes. we go. All right. I'm doing three. I'm doing. <laughs> the Smurf Dude. talk is like one of the most iconic scenes. I'm ever. doing. I'm doing three people right here. If you told me Tarantino wrote just this scene, I would believe you. <laughs> this is like the exact kind of thing he would write. Yeah, that's true. Beer and pussy. That's all I need. We gotta find ourselves a Smurfette. Smurfette? Mm-hmm. Not some like tight ass Middlesex chick, you know? Like this cute little blonde that will get down and dirty with the guys, like Smurfette does. Smurfette doesn't fuck. That's bullshit. Smurfette fucks all the other Smurfs. Why do you think Papa Smurf made her? Because all the other Smurfs were getting too horny. No, no, not Vanity. I heard he was a homosexual. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? Then she fucks him while Vanity watches, okay? What about Papa Smurf? I mean, he must get in on all the action. Yeah, what? He does. Yeah, what? I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, what he does. He films the gangbang. Later on, he beats off to the tape. First of all, Papa Smurf didn't create Smurfette. Gargamel did. She was sent in as Gargamel's evil spy with the intention of destroying the Smurf village. But the overwhelming goodness of the Smurf way of life transformed her. And as for the whole gangbang scenario, it just couldn't happen. Smurfs are asexual. They don't even have reproductive organs under those little white pants. That's what's so illogical, you know, about being a Smurf. What's the point of living if you don't have a dick? Great performance, Bo. You nailed it. It's, All three parts. <laughs> I, I really had to reach into my bag there. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so funny. And it's pretty perfect, too. Just like these you three... don't expect it either. No, it's totally unexpected. But then you're like, that's exactly like some conversations I had in high school. Like, that's it. Not, not about Smurf sex, but that is the type of weird shit that you talk about in high school. That, like, it 100% is. Yeah, but also not to the depth that Jake Gyllenhaal's character goes. I feel like there were definitely times not about that certain type of subject where, like, my friends were bullshitting about something, and I would turn around and be like, especially, like, with movies and shit, I would be like, listen, that's fucking wrong. This is what happened. Like, this is sure. what Inception's about. Like, <laughs> sure, but I think the point of that scene was that he just went way too far, and his friends were just like, "Whoa, yeah, he's complete, he's completely unhinged at that point." Yeah, um, it's so. Good. But yeah, just that, that was one of the most incredible like dialogue scenes of all time. <laughs> this is such a great one too, Gretchen. When she goes, "My mom had to get a restraining order, training order against my stepdad. He has emotional problems." And Dottie, happy as shit, goes, "Oh, I have those too. What kind of emotional problems does your dad have? He stabbed my mom four times to the chest. Oh, <laughs> it's so fucking great. He's such a weirdo. <laughs> Just so many great lines, and, and she's this, like, and it fits in this movie somehow. Just oh, it fits. Totally perfect. Um." <laughs> And she's like, and then at one point when she's like, they walk out of the um, 
school and she's like do you want to kiss me right now and he's like yes and then tries to and she's like no not now it's got to be right <laughs> so, and he looks so sad <laughs> like um oh man so the therapist scenes are 10 out of 10 too for creepiness um yeah also unintentionally funny i think when <laughs> so apparently when he's supposed to like do the thing when he's hypnotized and he's going to start masturbating the director was just going to let it go just to see how far he would go and he had to call cut because he thought jake gyllenhaal would legitimately masturbate i can totally see that i wouldn't be shocked if he did like that's like the type of thing that this guy would do even that early yeah um do you know what movie they were watching in the theater scene when he leaves to burn down patrick swayze's house no evil dead Oh, cool. Makes sense. I was sitting there, like, legit. <laughs> this is such a fucking Sam Raimi head thing where I'm, like, sitting there. And I'm like, does he have enough time? This is a short movie. Does he have enough time to go all the way to Patrick Swayze's house? <laughs> I think he does, too. Like, they figured it out. Somebody online figured it out. Oh, I'm sure someone online has definitely figured it out. Um, Do you know who they offered this to first? Offered what to? The role of Donnie. No. Vince Vaughn. Post, <laughs> this is post-swingers Vince Vaughn. So Honestly, like, I from Freaky, the movie you just did, I could see him playing like a little creepy dude. But he would have to have been like this 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 is post-swingers like going to Vegas with John Favreau, Vince yeah. Vaughn. So he's too old by this point. Um Mark yeah. Wahlberg, sorry, Mark Wahlberg was interested but apparently was only willing to play the part with a lisp. Okay, Mark. <laughs> okay. So, so fucking weird. Would have been even weirder than it already was, but like in a comedic way. Yeah, no, Jake Gyllenhaal was really the perfect person yeah. for this role. He uh, just has that creepiness to him that he plays in tons of other movies now. Um, and yeah, he, he just has that comedic timing too. So Jason Schwartzman, post-Rushmore, was attached Mm. And he dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. I could see him. Do you know who the first choice for the dad was? Nah. Tim Robbins. Okay. Yeah. Andy Dufresne. Better movie? I don't think it's a better movie. That guy fucking ruled. No. Um, what else is on this movie? Uh, God. I mean, yeah, just, like, the whole plane scene was so crazy. Like, I feel like I've had the, a dream the like end that. One? Oh, well, that's, that's so that's one thing about this movie is they intentionally try to make it, like, a dream. And, yeah. yeah. Well, what are you talking about? Are you talking about you, you have dreams? When the plane goes is going down to your um, room. Oh, I don't think I've ever had that one. I've had planes going down, but that might be because I watched Lost a lot when I was a kid. But yeah, either way, like it, de yeah, you're right. It definitely had like a lot of like dreaminess to it, and that's why it had this like weird state the whole time. You just don't know like what's real, what's not. And then, okay, when Gretchen gets run over, I that is a fucking. They show it. I forgot that. Yeah, because I haven't seen this movie in probably almost two years now. And that's some of the only gore we've seen in the whole movie. And it well, it's not gore, it's not bloody, but they show her go under the wheels, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's parallel to the wall. Like you see the wheels go over. Yeah, it's horrendous. Yeah, they really go all out, all out at the end. 
Ugh. God. It, like, hurts me every time, too. Because at that point, like, he's panicking because, you know, it's the day the world's supposed to end. Um, But Gretchen is, like, with him, and it kind of feels like it's going to work out somehow. Like, I remember I was, like, super optimistic about that scene. And then he just gets killed. Or she gets killed, and you're like, oh, it's fucking over. Yeah, I didn't know where to. You really don't see that coming. Um, let's see what else is interesting about this movie. Have you ever seen Harvey? It's a movie from the 1950s about a bunny that no one else can see. No, but I, I... I've seen it. It's weird. And James Stewart. It's good though. James Stewart's a fun, one of my favorite actors. Was this movie uh, inspired by it? Part that that part, yes. That the bunny. Frank was inspired by that and Watership Down. Have you ever seen Watership Down? No. Um, World yeah, War One movie. This bunny definitely is one of the creepiest bunnies ever. It's a World War One movie using bunnies. Uh, just the mask that this bunny wears, just like fucking terrifying. Just resembles all your nightmares. When we were like building up to this pod at like three a.m., I just text Jacob like a gif of the bunny. <laughs> Um, I got more stuff here too. Uh, Jim Cunningham depicts drugs. Patrick Swayze's character depicts drugs, alcohol, and premarital sex as instruments of fear. The movie Donnie smokes a cigarette, drinks alcohol, and engages in premarital sex. So he mm. occurs. Uh, he surrenders to all three temptations before the end of the movie. Um, let's see what else is going on here. Uh, okay. Well, okay, yeah, that's dumb as shit, actually. There's a lot of interesting trivia on this movie. I'm having trouble picking what is really good, although I do like this. At the rap party for the film, Seth Rogen and Jake Gyllenhaal agreed that they had no idea what the movie was about. Well, yeah, the director admitted himself he had no idea what the movie was about. I kind of love when that happens. Yes, to an extent, though. Um, well, obviously, there's like a diff- there's like a difference between when a director... I think what I so I would describe it as this. I think he had a vision and had a clear path, but by the end of it, he wasn't sure what it all meant to himself. Yes. I think it's different if the director gets into the movie and is like, "Wait, I actually don't know what the fuck I'm doing with this one." Right. Exactly. So like I think it's very different. Um so one thing that I I thought about a lot the original release date of this movie was January. N- what? Oh, wait, that's the Mexican release date. I was going to so, say, should it be towards Halloween? It did Sundance January 19th, 2001. And then I think a main release, uh, the main release came in uh, October 2020, yeah. 22nd, 20, 20 sorry, was when it premiered in LA. Uh, it got its limited run on the 26th. And then I'm sure a week after that or so, it was Halloween. Uh, everywhere. Yeah. Halloween, yes. Now, this movie had a lot of promotional material with planes crashing. Mm. Had to change that. Oh, yeah. And so that's enough. So that's uh, this movie obviously did not do was not super popular when it came out. Partially, I think, in due to the script and you know, people not really understanding it. And I'm sure it didn't get great word of mouth initially, 
Um, but also, I think people weren't didn't want to go see the plane crash movie. <laughs> you know. Yeah, even though the plane's kind of barely in it. Well, but this is this is I'm I'm sure the trailer you cannot pull out that the the plane is supposed to supposed to smush a child. It's supposed to crash and smush a child, and I don't think that's what people wanted. Then this movie had a budget of six million dollars estimated, and it grossed six million nine hundred eighty-one thousand five hundred eighty-six. It only did a million in the U.S. and Canada. Well, yeah, it was also supposed to represent like our dreams and nightmares, so it's not like an appealing movie. No, I, but well, the thing is, this movie actually lost money if you take yeah. the marketing to account because it's six million on the movie, but a marketing budget is typically like. You know, it's going to be more than a movie. Typically, I think half of you could, the best way to do it is half of the film's budget mm-hmm. um, is what you can add on for the marketing. Like you half it and add it back on. You know, yep. so it, this movie lost money, um, but the blockbuster era definitely saved its uh, court of public opinion, uh, yeah. as it should have. And it just it really gained a cult following after that. Um, I think when the director's cut came out is when it really got big. This, I feel like this is like a, this could have gone very, very differently for Jake Gyllenhaal if this movie does not take off the way it does. Right? I don't know. What was after this that he did? So he did that Bubble Boy movie where he plays the Bubble Boy. Okay. Um, Then he does Lovely and Amazing. So those are all three in 2001. Then he's in The Good Girl, Highway, Moon Knight Mile. And then he's, it's two years off, and then he does The Day After Tomorrow, which is actually maybe the first movie I ever saw him in, yeah. which is fine. Um, That's still a big blockbuster, though. It is. A, it was. It, you know, it was uh, fucking uh, – what's his name? Roland Emmerich movie. Yep. And Emmerich, I think he himself was probably coming off of uh, what, like – Independence Day was maybe the last movie he had made before this. Oh no, it was Stargate, which was also pretty popular. Oh no, it was The Patriot. Well, okay, so he was hot. Yeah, this this is okay. So it was Independence Day, Godzilla, Patriot, Day After Tomorrow. So this is hot, Roland Emmerich. So good role for Jake Gyllenhaal, but once again, not a great movie. And then he gets Brokeback Mountain. I feel like he's getting Brokeback Mountain and Jarhead off of Darko, because it's not like he's showing his acting chops in Day After Tomorrow. Sure. Yeah, I mean, also, they did have a lot of industry connections, the John Halls, so. That's true, too. That's very true. A lot of stuff happened probably behind the scenes. But, you know, Donnie Dark is a good one for the real. Yes. I mean, he nailed it. We haven't seen, like, a creepy character like that. No. I don't know who else. Just like like we were talking about with Everything Everywhere, I don't know who, 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 who could direct that movie. I don't know who, could, who else could play this. Vince Vaughn, yeah, but not at this time. I mean, Richard Kelly, this was his one-and-done movie, so I don't he's think got, he's ever going to come back. A, he's got a few more after this, but they're not to this level. They're not. No, nah, I don't think he even like, counts them as his movies. Really? It's really just Donnie Darko, and that's kind of it. Has he really written anything since? No. God. This is really he it, just a one-and-done. I, uh, I, th- I don't know off the top of my head, but I think there is like, a couple articles about there explaining Is he just like, why selling he, real estate now? Why he disappeared from Hollywood. Um, I made a new friend. Real or imaginary? Imaginary. Great delivery. 
It's so fucking weird. He's such a weirdo. At that time, too, he had met Gretchen. I thought he was going to tell her about Gretchen. But he decides to tell her about the big buddy he saw. What a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really. Um, <laughs> let's see. What else is there? Uh, I'm just going through quotes right now. Oh, well, obviously, there's the great, um, why are you wearing that stupid bunny suit? Which he says when he's in that trance. I can't, like, do it. He's like, he's like, it's like, it's, it's, it's weird. He, it's even more it's childlike. Like it's giggly. It's like he turns into an even younger child. He's like, why are you in that stupid bunny suit? Why are you in that stupid human suit? <laughs> like, I feel like that was definitely a senior quote by an angsty kid in that time. Why are you wearing that stupid human suit? Was gotta be. Yeah, I mean, it's also resembling his alter ego, so it makes sense. Yeah. But, um, God, so great. Uh, so, have, all right. This is, I, I'm sure you don't know much about this. I don't know if you, actually, I'm, I wonder if you even know this exists. Uh, have you seen the sequel? I know there is, but I have not seen it. Do you want to watch the sequel? Can it's we? Un, it's an unofficial sequel. Um, it's called Donnie Darko 2. <laughs> But Richard Kelly did not have any part in it. That's true. So um, I do not count it as an actual sequel. Where is it? I'm looking for it on her. Also, Jake Gyllenhaal's not in it. Like, it's a whole new cast. It's like, it's kind of just like a... But it, it is the sister came back for it. S. Darko. So that's Samantha yes. Darko. Donnie Darko's little sister, Samantha, and her best friend, Corey, are on a cross-country road trip soon find themselves entangled in a dangerous glitch in the space-time continuum. Weird choice, giving this one a sequel? Yeah. I mean, I think, when did this come out? 2009? Uh, so it was a year after. So it's not when it was big. Um, yeah, a year after know. what? A year after Donnie Darko. It was eight years after Donnie Darko. Sorry, eight years. Yes, right. <laughs> I was about to say, did I forget what year this came out? Um, I don't know of any positive reviews of this movie. No. And, yeah, when the when the original director is not attached and, like, the cast isn't involved or writers or anything, you, it's like, no, look, what is this? What are we doing here? Yeah, it's a strange choice to want to do the... I mean, this. it seems they kind of turned it more into, like, a horror film by taking the bunny and making it creepier. Is uh, the bunny still in it? Are you like looking it up? It's just like a, I think it's a variation of the bunny, but it just looks creepier. This looks more like horror sci-fi-ish. Um, yeah, not, not something that's appealing to anyone. So I'm on the Roger Ebert uh, review. I should have done this earlier in the pod, but um, I think he might've missed on this one. I think he's, he's a little wrong here. Um, he, did not like this. What would what would you say he rated it? What, what's your guess on Raj? He does out of four, right? Yeah. Two and a half. Exactly right. Two and a half. Um, it sounds like he's going to like it. He says there is a kind of movie that calls out not merely to be experienced, but to be absolved. The plot coils back on itself and intriguing mind puzzles and moviegoers send bewildering emails to one each other explaining it. So that is true that's what happened you know it kind of hit that buzz that buzz and people were emailing about it because that's what it was at the time and i've got this weird 2000s website but um he says the setup and development is fascinating the payoff less so i could tell you what i think happens at the end 
and what the movie is about, but I would not be sure I was right. The movie builds twists on top of turns until the plot wheel revolves one time too many, and we're left scratching our heads. We don't demand answers at the end, but we want some kind of closure. Kaiser Soze may not explain everything in The Usual Suspects, but it feels like he does. Um, I agree with that. I mean, like, I wasn't desperate for, for more answers, even though it was very questionable, but... The people who did obviously were super into it and created this like cult following towards it. So yeah, that's where I think he's wrong. I think like he's he's so basically what he's saying is that we don't get anything from the ending. Uh, not to be like, oh well, that was the point. I don't think Richard Kelly even knew what the point was uh, in the best way possible. But I think that's what has made this movie kind of last is that it is this such a weird anomaly in like film almost and yeah. it's kind of I, a movie that uh, everybody who is about the stuff will tell what has their own Donnie Darko opinion and has their own thought on what it means and it's such a a touchstone I think that uh, I, I don't think it's two and a half I think it's a four stars um, on Raj's scale I think if he had he like he loved to go back and review his own reviews and give better movies better scores like he did that a lot i think if he had gone back to this one he would have given it four or at least like a three and a half yeah i mean a lot of when the director's cut came out a lot of critics did like a re-review of it and they gave it a lot most critics gave it a lot higher than they did originally i need to see the director's cut Yes, definitely check it out. Sounds good. I mean, have you seen it? I think I have once, yeah. I think it was the first one I saw, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, I need to check that. Um, but I just watched this. I, I like. I got to do like at least a year or two between Donnie Darko viewings. I don't want to break my brain. But yeah, like you said, it's just a movie people keep coming back to, and that's why yeah. it's always talked about. I feel like this was like people were like – going to blockbuster and renting it and then like they'd watch it five times and then they're like pulling the <laughs> the film out of the tape and like holding it against lights trying to break it down <laughs> <laughs> like this this definitely like i'm surprised nobody went insane over this movie like legitimately because it's happened before like somebody shot ronald reagan trying to impress jodie foster that's when people love to point to i mean I'm, it could have happened we just don't know well yeah i mean i'm like i wonder like I'm surprised somebody wasn't trying to, like, bring down a plane to save the primary universe, you know? I just don't think it was that big at the time. And it was just one of those movies people went back to. And so it didn't really have that initial hype. Yeah, but Ronald Reagan... But, right, but Taxi Driver came out in 1970 and Ronald Reagan was president in 84. You know? Yeah. It's just a fucking crazy person festering on it for years. Um but maybe he had to take the video back to Blockbuster because they were closing down. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I love this movie, though. I love Jake Gyllenhaal. Two, yeah. got to, we got to talk about Gyllenhaal twice today and Nicolas Cage, and it's great. What Movies are back, day. baby. Movies are back. Our, our passion is back after being killed temporarily. Um, we are back. I watched Rush Hour 3. I forgot to mention that. God, I love those movies. Jackie Chan's a treasure. All right. You got any last thoughts? No, it's about all the thoughts I have. All right, man. This was fun. I'm, I missed this. I love being able to talk about movies. 
Um, next week we are going to we 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 promised a big thing this month, but we we were busy and we were tired. I'm sorry. We are we are but human. Um, we're gonna Shit do stone. Happens. Yes, we're gonna do stoner comedies. Uh, I'm probably gonna try and put the poll up around Saturday or Sunday. We are taking suggestions. If you would like to get anything in there, the only thing I have solidly on there is Pineapple Express and probably Dazed and Confused. Um, not Pineapple Express. No, no, I totally misspoke. That is not locked in. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is locked in because that movie rules. All right. But besides that, we're taking suggestions. Send us your favorite stoner comedies. Um, all right. You know. got anything else? You got, you got anything else? You got any wrecks? Any, any stoner comedy wrecks you want the people to mention? I mean, go see everything everywhere all at once. That's Technically, a, that could be a stoner comedy. Shit, I bet that would, yeah. Not to tell you how to spend your April, but might not be a bad you know, bad to go see go that movie. Go see a good April. movie. I mean, I my friend who saw it, he uh, after he saw it, he quit his job and is now rethinking his life career. So this movie is definitely impacting a lot of people. Are you doing a bit right now? No, I'm dead serious. My friend this movie made him quit his job. And he's now rethinking what he wants to go into. That is awesome. Yeah, this movie's changing lives. Dude, I bet the directors would love to hear that. We need to get a message to them. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they know. I'm sure this is impacting a lot of people. It made me rethink my life decisions just in general. I feel like for you, it'd buckle down and be like, God, I love movies. I want to make more of them. Not in that sense, but what the, the story was about and just like how... Oh, like family? Whole, not even the that, but just like in the... And just how the whole movie is going through all the multiverses, seeing all those like alternate realities or paths that you could have taken if you made just a small difference in this, this yeah. choice that you made that ended up impacting everything else. It just like it makes you think about like all the choices you've made in your life and like how that's impacted you and where you could have been, you know? It gets yeah. deep. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, go see everything everywhere all at once. That's what I gotta say. That's all I gotta say too, man. All right. It was fun getting back to doing this. I'll talk to you next time. Till next time.